Uh, you can go ahead and take a seat, and I'd invite the kids to meet your teacher for your own lesson. Sprouts time by the back doors. Uh, today, we are continuing, well, a new series that we started a couple weeks ago, uh, focusing on some heroes from the biblical text. Uh, obviously, last week, it was rally day, so we took a break. Uh, but the week before that, Pastor Bruce talked to you about the persistent widow and highlighted uh, this woman's tremendous faith and her boldness in coming to the throne of God. Uh, but she, we don't even know her name. Today, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we might be talking about, you know, arguably top three most famous names in all of the Bible. We're going to be talking about Moses. And that name is the kind of name that even if you've never spent a day in church, or in synagogue, or anywhere, you probably have heard of. You've probably heard something about Moses. Indeed, for many of you, what comes to your mind when you think of Moses is him parting the Red Sea, or maybe the time that he delivered the Ten Commandments, the foundation upon which, well, the world's ethical rule has been built. Or maybe you think about the various plagues that God did through him and the Passover and, you know, the list could go on and on of all the things that might come to mind, all, of course, in the face of Charlton Heston, but set aside that for a second. I don't think he looked like that. I'm not sure. We don't have pictures, unfortunately. But, but what I want to focus on today is not any of all that heroic stuff. Instead, I want to talk about the heroic aspect of Moses that is his tremendous love for the people of God. His tremendous patience for the people of God that manifests itself in interceding constantly for the people of God. Standing in the gap, as it were, as a middleman between God and his people. That will certainly be seen over and over again through the text that we're going to do a bit of an overview through or overview over today in Exodus chapter 32 and 33. I'm not going to read the whole passage because it's quite a few verses, but like I said, we're, we're going to do a sort of a cursory overview. Let me bring you up to speed on it, then we'll pray, then we'll dive in. Okay. Here's what's going on in Exodus 32, very famous story. The people of God, well, basically Moses has gone away to Mount Sinai to receive from the Lord instructions to bring back to the people. And within, it seems, a few days, the people are like, well, I guess Moses is gone, so it's time to start worshiping someone else. And so they insist that Moses' brother Aaron make for them a golden calf. And amazingly, Aaron being the worst associate pastor ever is like, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that thing. Let's just, I'll burn, give me your gold. He even figures out how to do it. He's like, give me all your gold jewelry. I'll melt it down and I'll make a gold cow for you guys to worship. And they do. Now, this sounds a little strange to us, but the reality is the calf was a symbol in ancient Canaanite uh, sort of worship practices of virility. And, you know, it was basically the people were going back to things that they had seen. But it is kind of amazing how they had been commanded explicitly that this was absolutely not allowed, and yet it doesn't take long before they do the very thing God hates. 
And so, as you might imagine, God's none too happy about this. We pick up the story in verse 7 of chapter 32 in Exodus. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. In other words, they're giving the credit for all of God's miraculous wonders that they had been beneficiaries of to this stupid golden calf. God is a jealous God for his people, and they are giving the glory to the idol. And so the Lord said to Moses, verse 9, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people, stubborn, proud. Now, therefore, let me alone, this is God talking, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I might make a great nation of you. God is ready to start over. God is understandably very angry. And yet it is at this precise moment that we're going to see the power of intercession through Moses. And by extension, we're going to see why intercession is such a necessity, frankly, for all the people of God throughout all time, because it's not just Israel that messes up, but it's you and I. And therefore, we need someone to stand in the gap for us. So with that, by way of introduction, let's pray, and then let's look at three ways that Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us here today and guiding us. Give us insight into your word and help us to then apply it by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first of all, how do we see Moses interceding? Well, the first thing is we see him intercede by reminding God of his promises to his people. If you're following along, you can find this in verse 11 of chapter 32. It says this, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains? Skip ahead to verse 13, because this is what I really want you to focus on. As Moses pleased before God, he says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring. As Moses begins his intercession, his mediation for God's people, the first thing he does, the first go-to for him is to remind God that he's made a promise. Moses knows that God is a God of his word and that God cannot break his word. And so Moses confidently goes to God, reminding him of the pledge he's made to these people. I will make of you a great nation. 
I will through you bless all the nations as a matter of fact. You will be my people and I will be your God. And as a result, verse 14 says, and God relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on the people. It worked. When I see Moses here appealing to the promise that God has made, I can't help but think about my own sons and the way that they have done this throughout my life as a dad. Remember one time some years ago, Lincoln was, you know, younger. He, he was really excited to see the movie Wreck-It Ralph 2. Really excited. Excited enough that one night at about 3 in the morning, I was shaken awake by Lincoln, in which he then said, Daddy, do you pinky promise to take me to see Wreck-It Ralph 2 on the day it comes out? And of course, it's 3 in the morning, and so at that point, to go back to bed, I will pinky promise anything. And then you know what my son proceeded to do every day after that was remind me of the promise I made. Dad, you made a pinky promise we're going to see Wreck-It Ralph 2 on the day it comes out, right? And indeed, we did. It worked. His intercession worked. Moses comes to God saying, you promised. You promised, and I'm going to hold you to it. And God says, fair enough. Now, you say... Okay, Eric, that's a nice little bit of biblical history. Thank you very much. But what does this have to do with me? Well, you're in luck. I'm going to tell you. This has everything to do with you. Because just as Moses appealed to the promises of God in order to save the people, you today have a true and better intercessor constantly standing before the presence of God, Jesus Christ, our advocate, the Scripture calls Him. We're told in Hebrews that He's always interceding at the right hand of God for you. Jesus Christ is the very incarnation of the promises of God. He is the promised one. And so you have all the more reason to be confident that God will not charge you for your sins, will not bring his wrath against you for your sins because you have an advocate standing there, the promised one, saying, I I have done everything for them. I've won forgiveness of sins for them no matter what. So that's the first way that we see intercession work in the life of Moses. He appeals to the promises of God. The second way we see it is that, well, he intercedes by seeking to atone for the people's sins. To provide atonement. Listen, if you pick it up in verse 30, it says, The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. Notice there's no minimizing of sin even if there's forgiveness of sin. There's no winking at it. Moses acknowledges this is a big, big problem. So he says, and now I will go up to the Lord. 
perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. And now listen to this, this last verse, verse 32, is really key. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please blot out, blot me out of your book that you have written. This is an incredible statement that Moses is making here. We're not told that Moses brought with him an animal to the presence of God to atone for the people's sin. That would be the customary way of atoning in the Old Testament. You offered a sacrifice. Moses doesn't do that here. Instead, Moses offers himself. Forgive them or else blot me out. Damn me. I, I can't help but think of the Apostle Paul's words in, in Romans where he's saying, he's he's sharing his burden for his Jewish brothers and sisters to know the Lord. And he says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Condemned to hell. I would would switch places. He says, "I, I would be condemned if it meant that they could be saved. This is an incredible statement. Moses is essentially saying that same thing. And yet, as sincere as these statements are, in the final analysis, they are just words. But when we think of how Jesus intercedes for us, we recognize that he not only said, let me be accursed for the people's sins, but in fact, was accursed for the world's sins. In fact, was condemned As the ultimate act of atonement on the cross, Jesus takes the punishment that we deserve so that they would not be held against us anymore, our sins. He is the ultimate middleman punished in our place, standing standing in the gap. As I'm sure many of you know, my personal favorite stand-up comic, Norm MacDonald, died this week. I mean, when I say he was my favorite, I'm not much of a celebrity guy. You know, I just don't really care all that much. And I've, I've met them when I lived in New York City, and I was never the one that was like, ooh, you know, just, it's not a big deal to me. But I always said there was one celebrity I wanted to meet, and it was Norm. And I always told my family and my friends that I think when Norm dies it might be the only time I actually cry over celebrity death. Turns out I was right. And yet, yet as sad as I was to hear of his passing, I was not hopeless. And I am not. Because, you know, Norm had hinted around throughout his life, especially over the last few years, which makes a whole lot more sense now since he apparently was battling cancer secretly for nine years, almost ten years. 
he would hint around about theological issues. He'd be, you know, as a comedian, you know, these radio shows would invite him on to be funny. And most of the time, he would find a way to interrupt being funny and bring up some philosophical matter or theological matter. And of course, the radio show host is just like, man, I just wanted to have you on to make people laugh. And now you're making us get all serious. And he would talk about God, and he would talk about theological issues. And in one radio interview, you can tell the host is just sort of taken aback and shocked. Norm breaks out and says this, quote, some people believe that man is divine, like kind of a hippie idea. I can't believe that because I know my own heart, and I know that's not true. Other people believe that we're wretched, like the cynics or the atheists would believe we're all just Wretched nothingness, just animals, just creatures. I can't believe that. It doesn't make any sense that we're just beasts. I will say, Christianity has this interesting compromise where we're both divine and wretched. But we're born, well, and there's this middleman that's the savior, that through him we can become divine. But we're born wretched. I kind of like that one, Norm says, because it makes sense, end quote. Norm's literally talking about the thing that I'm talking about today. He is, he is bringing up A plus 100% good news theology. And I'm sure the host is like, what on earth is happening why are you doing this? It's that that Moses points us toward as he intercedes on his people's behalf. Our Savior, our middleman, sacrificing himself to unite us to God. And since I feel like it, and we're, a bit, we're on a kick already of quoting celebrities, let me quote another celebrity to you who also loved Jesus and wasn't shy about saying it, even if it got uncomfortable. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash had a song that he sang on, t on live TV called Redemption that was all about this intercession, all about this mediator. Let me read to you the first couple stanzas of the song. It says this, from the hands it came down, from the side it came down, from the feet it came down and ran to the ground. Between heaven and hell, a teardrop fell in the deep crimson dew the tree of life grew, and the blood gave life to the branches of the tree. And the blood was the price that set the captives free. And the numbers that came through the fire and the flood clung to the tree and were redeemed by the blood. Yes, that is how our great intercessor pleads for you. Lastly, we see Moses intercede for the people by not just asking for forgiveness and not just atoning, but also by insisting on God's presence. Stay with them. Reality is the people have done a bad thing, done a really bad thing, and even though God has promised he's going to forgive and that God is not going to hold their sin against them to the degree that they certainly deserve, God does say in this passage, okay, I'll give you the forgiveness, but I just, I'm paraphrasing, I just can't be with you guys anymore because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consume you. 
because of your stiff-necked rebellion over and over and over again that you put up against me. So as you head to the promised land, Moses, you guys can go on your own. I'm no longer going to be with you. And once again, Moses has the chutzpah to stand up in the presence of God and say, no. No. We can't do it alone. We don't just need the forgiveness of our sins. We need the presence of your power with us. We're doomed if we don't have you with us each and every minute of the day. Indeed, Moses pleads, if your presence will not go with me, well, don't bring us up into this great promised land at all. And once again, once again, based on the plea of the people's great intercessor, God ends up on the side of grace. It's interesting, if you go to chapter 33, it's in verses 12 through 17 that you can read it. I won't read all of it right now, but over and over again, the reason that God says, okay, I will end up staying with you and being present with you, is not because of the people. And as a matter of fact, he continually criticizes the people. And he says, you know, you're stiff-necked, and it's not because of your greatness that I'm doing this. No, no, no. But he does say, the reason I'm going to do it is because I have found favor with you, Moses. The word favor is another way of saying, because of my grace, I'll do it. Once again, folks, we have a true and better intercessor, Jesus Christ the righteous, pleading on our behalf. And what does he promise his church? He promises his church right before he ascends to the Father, I will be with you always. No worries that no matter, no worries that if you do this or if you sin this way, that you will be abandoned. No, He will be with you always. Or as the writer of Hebrews says, He will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Emphasize, underline three or four times that word. Never. We have a true and better intercessor who never stops pleading on our behalf before the throne of God. Because he knows that we can't make it on our own. I am a sitting duck. If getting to the true and better promised land is dependent on my ability. It's just, it's a fact. I won't make it. Because my ability has to equal up to loving God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind at all the time. But if I have one advocating for me, who's got the scars to prove he's done everything necessary to grant me access to the true and better promised land, well, then I'm taking that to the bank. 
And I'm rejoicing. And I hope, I hope you do too. He always lives to make intercession for you. Your true and better Moses. Right now. No matter what you've done. Right now. That's what he's doing. And he knows you by name. Pause for a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that you always, you end up on the side of grace throughout your word. Your patience with your people, your kindness with your people. Even even when punishment is, and discipline is necessary for your people because of their wayward ways. You, you tell us through prophets like Ezekiel that you take no joy in this. No, you, you tell us that you desire all to come to repentance. You desire all to see that Jesus is enough. And that we can have confidence now to boldly come before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need, which is really all the time. So we thank you as we pray together with one voice the prayer our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.